Anyway, uh, several months ago, we were doing a marriage series, and uh, in the midst of that marriage series, we saw that few problems can, ki- can uh, hit your marriage or your household any harder than that of uh, money. Some co- counselors call money issues or financial problems in marriage the bottom line, and for a lot of reasons that's true. It seems that many marriages are torn apart constantly, and I may add households, single people, are torn apart because of financial problems that they're having. And it's important as we uh, consider this new series that we recognize that this is a very true, very relevant topic. Um, The reason that I decided to do a series on it, it'll be a short series, I don't know how long, but it'll be shorter than than most of the series that I do that usually last like forever, but uh, this series will be a little bit shorter. Uh, But the reason I decided to do it as a series, if you recall back in, I think it was December, we were going through a marriage series and part of what we were discussing is how to resolve conflict. So after we did the conflict resolution part, it led to a good opportunity to talk about finances since for most of us, finances are a point of contention in our relationship. And if you remember, the, the, the reason is that you know opposites attract as part of God's plan to bring people together that are different in a lot of ways. And so as a result, the way you handle finances is no different than how you handle everything else in a relationship. It's going to be different. Anyway, so as we presented this material on finances, which was just a brief kind of overview of the topic, we had a sign-up sheet for those who wanted to get more involved in this whole end of finances and what the Bible has to say, biblical principles of finance. We figured, well, we'd get a couple of small groups together. We'd get, you know, two or three couples to lead some groups and have, you know, 10 to 20 people maybe in each group. Well, the problem was that when we got the sign-up sheets back, we had 150 people that signed up. So, you know, and, and those are the people that were, that, that were willing to get involved more so than just on Sunday mornings, whether it was a weeknight thing or whatever. So it didn't take a genius to figure out that if you had 150 people who were willing to sign up and get involved and spend more time on it, then probably another 100 of you would have signed up too, but you didn't want to make the commitment of making a commitment to do something more than just what you do normally. So anyway, we figured, well, we might as well just kill every bird with, with one big old stone, or in my case, one big old sledgehammer. And... Uh, <laughs> And just take care of it at one time, and we'll just do a finance series. To show you how relevant this topic is, let me ask you a question. How many of you have had a contention recently with regards to finance in your household? What's recent? <laughs> this morning on the way here. <laughs> okay, oh good, then we're safe. <laughs> But recently, okay. Uh, now, for those who have had some difficulties in that area, let me ask you another question. What were, and, and you can participate, because, you know, first week back, we'll just do a little participation, and we'll see how it goes. What were some of the, now, this is going to be interesting, isn't it? Now, how's it going to happen? Whisper to the person next to you what was going on in your relationship, and then they can answer for you, and no one will know who it was. Um, <laughs> you don't want to put anybody on the spot, because I'm not like that. You know, I'm a sensitive, compassionate, caring kind of guy. And the last thing I want to do is get anybody in trouble in here. Um, but what were some of the things that you disagree over? Just generic, g- general things. What, what do you disagree over? Okay, use of credit cards. Uh, oh, that is priceless, sir. That's priceless. The, the look on your face is just, I mean, if, if, we could, if we could just have you stand up and just go like this. Now, I, now, now I'm assuming that one of you likes to use them and the other doesn't like to use them. Or that... Both of you like to use them, and you know one of you is going to have to stop so the other one can keep on using them. All right, use of credit cards. How many have had a problem over the use of credit cards? 
Oh, we've all had, come on now, you know what, another problem is here, you're going to have to be honest with, with each other, and you're going to have to be honest with yourself. How many of you ever had that situation where you open your credit card bill at the end of the month, and you go, surprise! <laughs> can, you, can I see your face? There we go, now we're talking, hey, amen, hey, there, now you're hitting, it's like, what? Uh, Linda! Uh, oh, I, oh, oh, yeah, oh, didn't I tell you about those? Oh, no, let's talk about them now. Well, we've all gone through that, right? It was, yeah, it was, and, and we saved money because it was on sale. We didn't need it, but hey, got some stuff on it. Might want to sell some people here by the end of the series. Um, but, but, you know, we've all been through that. Or, you know, we, we, we've gone through the credit card thing where you have an envelope and hey, police put all the receipts. Whenever you buy something, we'll put them in this little central envelope located in a central position so that everybody knows what's really going on around here so that we can eliminate the surprise when the bill comes. Credit cards is a major problem. We'll discuss that as we go through the series. What other problems do we have? ATM withdrawals, same type of deal, same thing, uh, ATM withdrawals, uh, wow, look how much we took out, <laughs> wow, and it didn't seem like it was that much, but I needed it, alright, ATM withdrawals, what else, yes, oh, balancing the checkbook, how many of you got through the balancing checkbook thing, well, it just doesn't balance, close that account and we'll open a new one. <laughs> Hey, hallelujah. Yeah, see, some of you have been there, right? Okay, there you go. I'll just set that one aside till it all flushes out, and we'll just go open this one right here and see how it all goes, because the bank's never wrong, so we must have screwed up somewhere here. So I'm like, hey, wait, just do that. Well, you know, we go through, see, there's some things that we all go through to some degree. Um, what else? Anybody else? Writing checks and having to wait for that amount to come up later on in the old bank statement. Tom? Oh, one checkbook. Well, hey, you hang on to it now. What was that? What? What was that? What'd she say? Hey, hey, listen to me now. See, this is the thing I love about this series. It's going to be so practical and so relevant. It's going to change some of your life. Now listen to me, Tom. At the top right corner of the checks, there are numbers. <laughs> and they're in sequence, which means one after the other. Start with the lower numbers and work your way up to the higher numbers. Just a thought. Now that shouldn't have surprised any of us. There you go. All right, let's see. What else? Oh, how, how about, how about the, the, the husbands that get upset with their wives because they buy their kids like shoes and, um, you know, clothes. And, and, and then they run out and they buy a boat and a jet airplane. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you know, go ahead, you go ahead you buy those clothes and shoes. I'll show you. <laughs> you know, land that helicopter in the backyard. Hey, look at I just saw it, but we need it, honey. All right. How about uh, eating out? Problem with that? <laughs> I'm going to give you a little solution that we worked out in our household. We turned our oven into a bookcase. My wife's like, you got books all over the place. There's books all through the house. I said, we'll turn that oven in the bookcase. We'll hide them in there. <laughs> it ain't ever going to burn in there. 
We're back in the Garden of Eden. I hear that serpent out there. What's that? What's all that about? You are done speaking for the morning. If you know what's good for you. Taking checks out of the back of the book. Don't write in the amounts. What else? Buying necessities. Oh, defining necessities. I was going to say buying necessities. Yeah, we hate buying necessities too. You know, we're dealing with that toothpaste, deodorant, stay away. It's okay, that's why I stand up here. Um, defining what is a necessity. Now, that's a good point. But we needed it. Oh, shoes are a necessity. <laughs> and a pair to match every outfit that you have and every, every type of makeup that you wear. And, and all, yeah, I understand. Imelda Marcos. Um, <laughs> defining necessities, yes. Oh, that's a great, that's a great problem. I mean, it's not a great problem, <laughs> but it certainly is a problem because we know that we live in a country where we've got people that never held a job in their life that sit around trying to figure out how to take money away from us who go out and work hard for a living. So we need to make sure we sit down and give them what they want so they can enjoy their comfortable, cushy lifestyles. But this isn't a place to talk about politics, now is it? This is a place just to talk about what God has to say about finances. So I won't touch that subject, but I know who I'm voting for when November comes around. Um, what did you say? <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, taxes, yeah. You know, especially if you're an independent contractor or if you're someone that doesn't have them withheld, you're not sure what you're going to make. And, you know, and that's a very difficult thing. We'll talk about that and try to figure out some way. How do you budget for that? Um, so that it's not, oops, surprise, and understand what's going on. Is that a hand back there? Oh, you scratched your head. Don't do that in here. Okay, good thing this isn't an auction. You just bought this overhead projector. Oh, now I see that hand, though. Oh, you know what? A great, great dilemma for many of us. For all of us, it should be, is how much do you set aside for retirement? And, uh, and how do you go about it? And when do you start? And, and I'd suggest starting a long time before you decide to retire. But, uh, yeah. Ooh. Now, see, I don't want to get into any personal areas of your life. Just kidding. Who should pay the bills? That's a great question. And I'll tell you why that's a good question. Because when I first became a Christian, I was going to a church that taught that the man should do everything. For whatever reason that is. And, uh, and we're going to talk about that. I don't, I don't agree with that. Because what if you've got a husband that ain't too bright? <laughs> I saw all these ladies going like this. Well, I don't mean not too bright, you know, just from not, he doesn't shine in the dark. I'm just talking about, what if you got a person that one person's better in math than the other, and one person's more organized than the other, and, and, and don't, you know, doesn't God bring two people together to compliment them, and, and, you know, and so we get into some of these things that, you know, we have to take a good hard look at what the Bible has to say about these principles. Yes. Are you trying to get out of this now? I'm going to do what? Oh, oh, no, you know what? And maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. But then if I give it to you now, you may not come back later. <laughs> but we'll talk about it, and, we'll, and we'll give reasons for it. Anyway, the, the point of everything that we're trying to discuss is it's very easy sometimes to misinterpret situations. And, uh, you know, true story. Lynn and I went up to Santa Barbara Friday night. We, we, I did a wedding up there yesterday, which was Saturday. 
Today's Sunday, yeah. It was Saturday. And uh, we stayed at a hotel that was in town, and uh, the wedding was going to be Saturday afternoon, but this was Friday night. And um, at some point during the evening, you know, and it was like dead asleep, and you're in a hotel room, and you're not really familiar with what's going on, all of a sudden we heard, and it wasn't that little thing that you put quarters in to make the bed shake. I knew that right away. It wasn't that, because we weren't at Howard Johnson's. Uh, but, but there was, and, and we we're in dead of, dead of the night, sound asleep. I can't see. I, I wear contacts, and I got these big old glasses that I usually set on the nightstand so I can see things in the evening. And, this, and the noise went off. And the first thing I thought was, fire! Because as you walk in the door, they always show you where the fire exit is. And I saw that as I was going in the room. I'm Fire! There's a fire! And I'm reaching around. I'm trying to grab my glasses. I can't find my glasses. I can't find anything to, to put on to run outside. And Linda's jumping up. And I tweak my shoulder. And my whole arm went numb. And the side of my body went numb. And I'm running around going, Fire! There's a fire! There's a fire! And, then I'm, I'm, and finally, as I run past the television set, the alarm clock <laughs> is screwed into the top of the television set. But we got a good rate on the room. And, and, it's, and, and it's across the room. And it's, and it's going, eh, 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 eh. And whoever slept there the night before us had to get up earlier than we did the next day. And so I'm hitting. And it shut off. And then I realized it was alarm. And I thought, man, you know what? It's so easy. Thing is, a fire. It sounded like a fire alarm, but it wasn't a fire alarm. It was just something stupid and simple. But sometimes in life, we can really misinterpret things and get way out of bounds. And that's true when it comes in the area of finances, too. Because when we're in trouble, the Bible says that God is our refuge. God is our refuge and our strength. He's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. And I think it's important that we understand that God cares a lot about finances. And he wants to help us to recognize that that's a very important area of our life. And unfortunately, many of us don't understand that, you know, the Bible speaks a lot about finances. You know, there are over 700 references in the Bible that has to do with money. Two-thirds of Jesus' sermons deal with finances. In fact, finances is spoken of more than any other subject except love. Finances or money or things associated with it are spoken of more than the whole issue of salvation. And the reason for it is quite simple. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 16 for a second. Luke chapter 16. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but you know, God says there's two issues in life, two areas of life that are probably our best barometer of where we are spiritually. If somebody said, how are you in your spiritual life? How are things in your relationship with God? The best barometer to measure how you really are doing spiritually has to do with how you handle finances. I don't know if you've ever thought of that or not. But in Luke chapter 16, we read in verse, starting in verse 9, Jesus says, I say to you, make friends for yourself by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, which is make friends with yourself, with, with, for yourselves by the means of money, because when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. It says, if therefore you have not been faithful in the use of money, then who will entrust true riches to you? 
And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? It says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. It says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Wow. You see the contrast there? He said, hey, you know what? You're either going to love God or you're going to love money. And it's going to be reflected in your attitude towards money, how you use finances that are entrusted to you, where you spend your money, where you write those checks, whether they're from the back of the book or the front of the book, doesn't really make any difference. What he's saying is that you cannot love money and love God simultaneously. One or the other is going to take precedent in your life. And as we go through the series, you'll discover how true that statement really is. We need to recognize that one of the best spiritual barometers for our lives is how we handle money. The second spiritual barometer for those who are married is the relationship that you have with your husband or your wife. And in fact, 1 Peter 3, 7 says that, you know what, live with your wives in an understanding way, speaking of men, so that, you know what, your prayers won't be hindered before God. That those are two barometers of where we are spiritually. Obviously, we'll concentrate on this particular series on how we handle finances. And as we go through it, we need to take a look at it. You know, one of the things that we need to understand is that the financial problems that many of us are having are just symptoms of a greater problem. And so often we get caught up in the symptoms and we don't deal with the root problems. So as a result, I know there are people here that are experts in how to help people spend their money or what to do with their money or tax planning, uh, retirement planning, how to invest and things of that nature. Those become important issues of how to. The issue will be... Uh, that would be easy. I'll just do that for you. Uh, is there a Diane Marks here? No? But that's a nice sign. <laughs> Did a good job. Uh, the issue will be uh, the why-tos, the principles behind it. We'll get to the how-tos as we go through it, but most of it's going to be concentrating on the why-tos. So the first question I have for you is this. When you think in terms of wealth, what comes to your mind? I want you to, to close your eyes for a second, and don't forget to open them back up again. But close your eyes for a second, and I want you to picture in your mind a person that you would picture as being wealthy. A man or woman that you picture is a wealthy person. What do you see? Somebody. Somebody with shoes. Mike Tyson. $30 million for one... For 109 seconds of no effort. What do you picture? Okay, Bill Gates. Huh? Donald Trump. Why do you picture these people? Why do you, yeah, it all has to do with material things, doesn't it? When I picture someone wealthy, the first thing, unfortunately, that comes to my mind and to many of us is a person who has material things. They have nice clothes, they have a nice car, they've got a nice watch, they've got money in their pocket, they own a big house, 
they have a prestigious title or they own a business or a company or something of that nature. I mean, being honest, don't most of us picture that when we picture a person that's wealthy? I think so. I think most of us do. The problem, though, is what is wealth? What is wealth? You know, historically, wealth was always looked at in, in representational ideas. If a man had a lot of camels or a lot of, uh, you know, uh, horses, he was wealthy. If he had, you know, a, 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 today, if you have a lot of money, it's considered to be wealthy. Not because a dollar's worth anything, because it's only representational in an idea. It's only what you can buy or own with that money that would equate to wealth. Same with if you own stock in a company. It's the collective opinion of people that makes that stock valuable because if no one will buy it from you, it's not worth anything. And so it's representational in idea. It, it has nothing to do with anything other than what you can own with these things. But it was interesting the other night, I was listening to, I think it was last night, no, it was the night before, and I was, we were watching, I wanted to see Brett Butler play for the Dodgers again, and as he came back, uh, during that evening at some point, Vince Scully made a, an interesting uh, assessment of one of the people that were playing the game. And I don't even remember who the player was, but this is what he said. He said that, you know, there stands a wealthy man. He said he has five lovely daughters. And he went through and named each one of them in their ages. And I thought, you know what? That's it, isn't it? See, the concept of wealth in our society has been so relegated to material things that we have gotten so far off target of what God says true wealth really is. We've gotten so far away that when we picture people, we picture people that have a lot of finances, but they have maybe nothing else that God would say makes a person wealthy. This man had five daughters, and he was a wealthy man because he had five daughters. And then, you know, in my sense of humor and the way that I think, I'm thinking, yeah, well, he won't be wealthy after he pays for five weddings, you know. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's kind of the way that it is, and we need to recognize and understand that. So what I want to do is I want to challenge you to consider what we traditionally think is wealth and now consider what God sees as being true wealth. And if you've got your Bibles, open to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Four things that God says makes a person wealthy. Four things. Now compare them to what you pictured in your own mind as you were trying to consider that wealthy person. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're introduced to one of the things that God says makes a person wealthy. And this will be fascinating to contrast it to what we feel about the same subject. Ecclesiastes 3, starting with verse 1, we read this. It says, There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. There's a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to heal and a time to, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up is lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. There's a time to tear apart and there's a time to sew together and a time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. He says, what profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? He says, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. And he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, 
Yet so the man will find out that work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. He says, I know there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and, do, and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all of, the, all of his labor, for that is a gift from God. You know, as we go through this, I want you to consider what God has to say that makes a person wealthy. And that is this. The ability to work is a gift from God, and it makes us wealthy. How many of you think the fact that you are able to work makes you a wealthy person? Yeah, how many of you now think that? <laughs> you know, See, here's the problem, right? In our culture, somehow or another, we bought into the lie that work is like some kind of great curse. You know, and that the only thing worth living for are weekends or time away from work. And we buy into this lie that somehow or another the ability to work is not a blessing at all, that it's like a curse. So many of us that I know, we hate to get up in the morning to go to work. We act like it's the greatest curse that God has ever befallen upon man, that we have to go to work. But you know what? In the, in the very beginning when God created Adam, He had him working in the garden. Adam was busy working in the garden and work was never looked at as a curse, that it was always a blessing of God. The ability to work makes a person wealthy. We need to change our mindset as far as work is concerned. It's important that we realize, let me ask you a personal question, do you grumble and complain and moan and groan about getting up to go to work? I'll tell you what, if you do, one of two things is true of you. One is, you have forgotten what a blessing it is to have a job and be able to work and to be able to earn a living, to be able to meet your needs while you're here on earth. That'd be one thing that would be true. If you don't get up every day and praise the Lord for the job that you have and go to work to be able to do those things, then what I would suggest that you do is talk to somebody who just lost their job. Drive by the unemployment office and talk to some people that are standing in line who truly want to work and cannot find a job. Talk to a person that's just lost their business for whatever reasons and ask them whether work is a curse or a blessing. And they'll straighten you out real quick. See, we get messed up. We take things for granted. And the purpose of all this is to help us to identify the root problem. And the root problem is this. We need to recognize and appreciate the fact that God says we are wealthy and wealthy indeed when we have the ability to get up and go to work. The second thing I mentioned is this, or this may be true. You're working in the wrong place. You're working in the wrong place. Some of you are working in the wrong place because what? You can't afford to go work somewhere else. Right? And we get locked in and trapped to jobs that we hate because we've been entangled by the financial needs that we have. And so we no longer have the freedom to go out and do what we want to do or what we would love to do or that we can get up every day and say, praise the Lord, I'm going to work and I love my job. Instead, I hate going to work because I got all these financial commitments and I hate my job and I hate what's going on. And so as a result, I'm trapped here though and I don't have a choice. Wow. Interesting, isn't it? So we'll deal with that as we go through it. The point that I want to get across is this. Hey, you know what? Work is a blessing from God. And if you have the ability to go to work, and I don't care what you do for a living, I don't care where you do it, God says this, don't miss out on the fact that that is a gift from God. 
It says, and moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all of his labor. Sees good. Why? Because that is a gift from God. The ability to work. Number one. Number two, turn to Proverbs 10, 22. Proverbs, a couple books back, one book back, 10, 22. In Proverbs 10.22, we read this. God says, not only are you wealthy if you have the ability to work, but you're also wealthy if what? If there's the absence of worry in your life. Proverbs 10.22 says, it's the blessing of the Lord that makes us rich. And you know what? And he adds no sorrow to it. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes us rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. I know people who have a tremendous amount of material possessions, but they have no peace in their life. They are worried, they are anxious, they are bothered, they are concerned. Whatever word you want to throw out, but I'll tell you what, they are not resting at night, and all the wealth that they have doesn't make it easier for them to rest. In fact, many people that have a lot of material things don't rest at all at night because they're worried about who's trying to take it from them. You know, if you want to sleep good at night, don't have anything that's worth somebody stealing. Somebody broke in the house, who cares, there's nothing to take interesting way to look at it. I'm not recommending it or advocating it, but I'm just saying, isn't it interesting how the things that we tend to worry about and be concerned about are things that can be taken from us? So we need to recognize and understand that, you know what, wealth in and of itself, material possessions, isn't going to make us wealthy in God's eyes. If you don't believe it, look at Mark chapter 10. Turn ahead to Mark chapter 10. A great illustration of this truth that God's trying to get across. Mark chapter 10. Look at verse 17. It says, And as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, knelt down before him, and began asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the young man said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, there's one thing that you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. It says, but at these words, his face fell and he went away grieved for he was one who owned much property. Now think this through for a second. Here's a man who owned much, had a lot of stuff, a lot of material things. When you closed your eyes and you pictured a person in your mind that had wealth or riches, he'd be the kind of person that you'd picture. He had all this going for him. Yet let me ask you a question. If he had all that going for him, what was missing in his life that he would have run up to Jesus and said, hey, you know what? There's something missing in my life, basically. And I got all this stuff, and this stuff isn't doing it for me. And I got all these things, and all my wealth isn't doing it for me. And when I go to bed at night, I wonder what's going to happen to me when I die, and I wonder what's, what's going to happen. Uh, you know, where, where do you go when you die, and what happens to you when you die? And I don't have answers for that, and all these things that I have, none, none of these things. I can go out and talk to all my camels and all my horses and all the stuff that I have, and they can't give me the answers. I can look at all the wealth that I have and all the gold and the silver that's piled up in the corner over here, and I can look at it and say, well, give me the answer. And it's not giving me the answer. And there's something missing in my life and I don't have any peace in my life and I don't have any contentment in life. I don't have any joy in my life and all this stuff isn't doing it. And I want to know, what do I have to do to get eternal life? 
And Jesus felt a compassion for him. And it was obvious there was something missing in his life because those things don't provide that answer. He says, hey, you know what? There's one thing that you have to do. And that is this. Sell everything that you possess. And he went, what? I want the peace. I want the answer. But I don't want to sell everything I have. Now, let me ask you a question. Would selling everything he had give him eternal life? Give him forgiveness before God? Guarantee him a space in heaven, whatever one want to say? Absolutely not. It doesn't matter how much money you give. It doesn't matter how many laws you obey. The fact is that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there is a problem with our nature. It's called sin. We're separated from God. We need to be forgiven. But you know what? Selling all of our stuff and giving it to the poor isn't going to make us right with God. What does? Just believing in Jesus Christ. Period. That's it. That's the only thing that makes us right with God. It's by grace we're saved through faith and not of, not of works. It's a gift from God. Selling everything you own to give it to poor people is a work. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not a gift that God would give to you. It's something you, you try to earn. He said, well, then I don't understand the point of what Jesus said. Well, and I don't blame you because you have to think a little bit and sometimes we don't like to do that. But the reality of what he was saying is simply this. He's saying that, you know what? What did we already learn? The greatest commandment is that you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That you either love God or you love money. You either put God first or you put money and possessions first. It's going to be a barometer of where you stand spiritually. And all that Jesus was doing to point out to him was that there was something wrong with his life. Is saying, hey, you know what? Go sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. But God knew his heart. The Lord knew what was missing in his life. He knew that he had possessions that, that he thought were greater than his relationship with God and what he'd be willing to do. He wasn't willing to give it all up. That's why his face fell and he said, man, I got too much here to lose. And Jesus said, hey, you know what? Hey, just... You don't understand. You can't hold on to that anyway. It's temporary. It's not eternal. The life that I can give you and forgiveness I can give you and joy that I can give you and peace that I can give you and the absence of worry that I can give you is for all of eternity. And what he was trying to get across to him and to us is this, that God says we are wealthy indeed when we have no anxiety in our life. Because we know that we're rightly related to God. How much money is a right relationship with God worth? Oh my goodness. We're the wealthiest people in the world. If you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've been forgiven by God, and you're a child of God, and there's a place reserved in heaven for you, do you realize how wealthy you are? Because I don't know if you know it or not, but your dad... God the Father owns everything. And we are heirs to his inheritance. I don't care how rich somebody here is on earth that may croak and leave you some money. They got nothing compared to what God has to offer. How much is forgiveness worth? How much is eternal life worth? How much is a guaranteed spot in heaven worth? You see, you are wealthy indeed. And you know what's sad to me is this. Many of us envy people around us that have more material possessions. And you know what I think? That people around us should envy us for what we have because of the God who gave it to us. We need to start thinking differently. We need to start thinking differently. We need to start thinking like God wants us to think. And you know what? Number three is this. The activity of the Lord. The wealthy person sees God's hands in everything. The activity of the Lord in your life. A wealthy person sees God's hand in everything. 
And what I tried to get across as we went through the book of Philippians was, you know what? God's hand is on your shoulders. There's nothing that happens to you or to me that God has not ordained for his purposes and for his reasons and for our, ultimately our benefit. God's hand is on our shoulders. The activity of the Lord is what makes us wealthy when we recognize and understand it. Genesis 24:35, we read this. And the Lord has greatly blessed my master. This was uh, Abraham's servant speaking to Laban. He said, so that he has become rich. And he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. And yeah, Abraham's wealthy, but let me tell you something about Abraham's wealth. He knows God gave it to him. Now Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a house a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household so that the Philistines envied him for his wealth. But it was the Lord who blessed him. And it was the Lord that made him wealthy. The Lord was with Joseph and blessed him. And the Lord made him to prosper. The Lord blessed him with great abundance. But you shall remember the Lord your God for it is He who has given you power to make wealth. Do you understand that the ability that you have, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a salesperson, whether you're a janitor, a truck driver, a, a, a contractor, an attorney. Do you understand that whatever the ability that you have to make a living for yourself, though you went to school and you got an education and you did all those things and don't misunderstand what I'm saying, those are all important and we need to recognize that we have a responsibility. But do you understand that it's God's hand that gave you the ability to be able to go out and do what you do? 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, Who in the world are we to think we can brag about anything that we have because haven't everything that we've, we have been given to us by God? Who are we to think that we're better than the next person because we have more material things when we understand that, you know what, God's given us everything that we have anyway? And the Lord chooses to bless as He chooses and to give to whomever He chooses. And it's a wealthy person that understands the activity of God in their life. And instead of looking at work as some type of curse, sees it as a blessing. Instead of worrying about their finances and whether they should have more or get more, they recognize that, you know what, they have a peace that only God can give and it surpasses all understanding. There's a wealthy person. A wealthy person sees God's hand in every area of their life, whether He gives it to you or He decides to take it away from you. Job said it best, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm not going to walk around life all bitter and concerned about finances because it's temporary anyway. If he gives it to me, we can enjoy it, enjoy it. If he takes it away and he doesn't want us to have it, then I'm going to enjoy life anyway. It doesn't matter because it's not predicated on what I have materially. We need to get that understanding in our heads before we go through further in this series because this is the basis or the foundation of recognizing what God's trying to teach us. We need to rethink everything that we've been taught about finances. We need to almost throw out everything you've learned in universities and colleges and every book that you've picked up on how to get rich and how to make more money and all those things, every infomercial that you've ever watched on making more money, you need to just throw that all away, ask God to just give you a big old uh, brain enema and just flush it all out <laughs> or something like that, I don't know, and, 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 and recognize and understand what he's trying to say. I need to start thinking like God thinks. My ways aren't his ways. My thoughts aren't his thoughts. As high as the heaven is above the earth is how high his thoughts are above mine. And all I'm saying to you and me is that, you know what? We need to be in a position where we say, Lord, make me teachable and make me accept your truth. 
And number four, last thing. We're wealthy also when we have the right attitude towards money. When we have the right attitude towards money. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13 says, you know what? It's all going to burn up. It's not going to last. It's not eternal. It's going to be gone. Jesus said, you know what? Thieves break in and steal, and rust and moth destroy, and it's all temporary. But you know who the wealthy, wealthy person, person is? He who lays his riches up in heaven, and he who is rich toward God. That's a wealthy person. That wealth materially can't be trusted. It takes wings and it flies away, Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26 said Moses, when he grew up, put aside all the temporary pleasure of sin and all the riches of Egypt that were at his disposal. He could have had everything that, the, that the, uh, the civilization of Egypt, this great civilization, had to offer. Every riches that were available. He had it all at his fingertips. He had it all laid at his feet. He was next in line. He was going to take over. And you know what he said? That means nothing to me compared to what God has to offer. How foolish it is for me to have this whole nation of Egypt and all the riches that go with it and all the power and all the good stuff that is here, but have it all disappear anyway because God is greater than all of this. And he said when he grew up, when he matured, when he understood God's truth, he said this is table scraps compared to the banquet that I'm going to eat at one day when I sit at my master's table. This is garbage. This is fast food. I'm holding out for the good stuff. Let me challenge you to consider some things this week. Number one, do you believe when you get up to go to work, whether I don't know, or you go to work, whether it's today, later, or whether it's first thing in the morning, do you believe that the ability that you have to work is a gift from God? Can I challenge you to do yourself and the people around you a huge favor? Every day when you get up, thank God, number one, that you got to get up. And then, thank Him again because you have some place to go to make a living, to take care of your family, and to take care of your needs. Praise God for the gift of work. It's a gift, it's not a curse. Second, understand that, you know what? Lay all your cares upon Him because He'll care for you. Don't worry about finances. They're temporary. You need to do some things. We'll talk about it. There's going to be some things maybe you need to do. And that's what's creating the anxiety in your life. You've created some of your problems. You need to recognize that, you know what? But God is greater than those problems and He wants to help you get out of the mess that you're in. But it may not be easy, but He's going to tell you the truth and the way to get out of it. Number three, we need to see God's hand in everything. The activity of the Lord. God's hand's in every area of your life. It's in the area of finances as much as anything else. And number four is we need to develop the right attitude toward money. Money is just a test to see whether God comes first in our life. This is a test. How are you doing? We'll see as we go through the series. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity once again to get into your word. We thank you for your truth that it's relevant to every situation of life. I just pray for those who are married that are having financial difficulties and having conflict as a result of that, that somehow or another this could be a series that will uh, develop cooperation and communication, 
that some of the defenses will be laid down, that people will be open to be able to listen to your word and to apply these truths. God, help us also for those who are single, that they understand the concept and the principles behind money management as we look into your word. That as they develop these money skills, if one day you should lead them to be married, that they'll enter into a relationship with a solid biblical background of how to handle finances. And that it will pave the way for a better relationship because of that. And even those who are single that will never get married, that you can just keep them out of the bondage and the trap that goes along with a culture that promotes materialism. That because of that, God, we can have a, a peace about it and a contentment and a joy in our life that surpasses all understanding because we know that you're in charge and we know that your principles work. God, help us to also see more importantly that, you know what, there can only be one God and that you must come first in our life. And we must love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And as we do that, then what you have to say will be easy to accept and easy to apply. And we just praise you in Christ's name. Amen.